Well, good morning. Happy New Year. You glad you're here? Yeah, yeah. I am because somebody just gave me a platinum debit card that was found in the parking lot. So it's a great Happy New Year for me. Maybe not for you anymore. If you have a Wells Fargo platinum debit card, you may want to come meet me this morning. Seriously, that wasn't a joke. I have it in my pocket, and we'll be glad to uh, give it back for a small breakfast and a big dinner. <clears throat> Just joking. So, how many of you rung in the new year awake? Doesn't count if fireworks woke you up. How many of you... Uh, uh, wow, more than I thought. Generally, those who are here this morning went to bed last night, and those who didn't go to bed aren't here. So, way to go. You, make, you made a good priority this morning. The rest of those, hmm, they were making friends for Jesus last night, right? Yeah. <clears throat> hey, so when we gather on New Year's Day, I knew better than to start a series because half the people wouldn't be here to start the series. So I said, so what, what passage says New Year's Day? And uh, there's a number that I could have chosen, but uh, I think this one says New Year's Day, First Peter 4, if you have a Bible with you. And I invite you to open there because it starts with this in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Right? Do you believe that? Okay, do you all believe that? Okay, well, in honesty, that's easy for us to sit in church and say, yeah, I believe that, but I don't mind if you go, I'm a little skeptical about that because people have been reading that for how long now? A long time, almost 2,000 years. So maybe it wasn't so true for them. Maybe it won't be so true for you. See, it's a little bit of a hard one to go, the end of all things is near. We think that, and we listen to the news, and we the end's near. But people have been saying the end's near for a long time, so is the end really near? So I can't talk you out of it. Well, I, not to be silly at all, but I hope I can't talk you out of what the Word of God says. The Word of God says the end of all things is near. So my senses and my history kind of goes, well, it doesn't seem to be true, but I know it is. So in what sense is the end near? Well, it's true in at least these three ways. You could probably think of more. Here's three that it occurred to me. The end is near. <clears throat> First of all, this is a singular reality that ought to frame 2017, that the end is near. And it's near in this sense. Any amount of time is near in comparison to eternity, right? So the end is near it is always true when you relate it to eternity, right? If I said, tomorrow you're going to die you would think the end's near, right? Because tomorrow seems like near in relation to a lifetime. If I say tomorrow you're going to get oxygen, that doesn't seem so near. See, near is always in some sense relative in terms of what you are comparing it to, right? So the end is near in comparison to Eternity. So those who 2,000 years ago, not quite, but almost 2,000 years ago, read for the very first time the letter that Peter wrote to them, the end is near, is it still true for them? <laughs> is it? 
Sure, in comparison to eternity, 2,000 years is how long? Not that, not that long. That was a little, right? In comparison to 2,000 more years, eternity, time, any amount of time is a snap in comparison to eternity. So the end is near. Don't miss it. It's a reminder to us that we can get stuck in time and thinking so much about time and so enraptured with how much time we have, we lose sight of eternity. And all the author is doing for us, and I hope doing for you this, this morning as we begin a new year, that you would recognize it's a snap in comparison to eternity. So, is it near? Yeah. In comparison to eternity, even if it's 2,000 more years, it's near. Second way that this singular reality, the end is near, is true. The end is more near than it was yesterday. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, but that's true, correct? Yes. The end is more near than it was yesterday. Jackie was talking to our neighbor yesterday, and they were like, man, we're getting old. And Jackie goes, uh, you're as young as you're ever going to be today. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So uh, it's more near. Uh, I don't know how much more near. Well, I do know. It's a day more near than it was yesterday. So in relation to eternity, is time near? Is the end near? Yeah, because... In relation to it, it's a snap. In relation to yesterday, is the end near? Yeah, it's more near. I'm not being silly. We're simply framing time as we understand it. Third reality of why the end is near. The end is always near because I'm not promised tomorrow. This was a sobering week for me in, in relation to that. Normally, we do 8 o'clock over in south, and over in south on my right, in the second and third row, has been a long group of members who have some come to north today at 9.30. Among them, who isn't here today, is Bill Thompson, because he didn't get yesterday. He died Friday. And I went to see him Friday just before they took him off the ventilator and also went to see a friend my age, my age, like within three months of my age, who had had a stroke earlier in the week, a significant, serious stroke. And as all of you know, when someone like your age, something significant that happens, what's it make you think about? You, right? Makes you go, whoa. That could be me. So is the end near? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to freak you out, but you might not have tomorrow. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. It's closer than it was yesterday, and in relation to eternity, your life and my life is just a snap. So, uh, I'm framing because this whole singular reality, the end is near, we can become a little jaded to. 
We can go, yeah, 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 the end is near. People have been saying that for a long time. It's the homeless guy holding the sign that you kind of dismiss. The end is near. And we get locked into life and what we're going to do in 2017 and 2018 and what we're going to do when we retire and what we're going to do when the kids grow up and move out what we're going to do with the grandkids. And we can get so locked into that that this is simply today a reminder there's a singular reality that ought to mark our lives, which is why, I'm, I mean, I'm, if people end up listening because they slept in, way to go listen, but why I'm glad you're here this morning. We need in time and space realities, reminders that say, whoa, we are not here forever on this planet in this body. We're not promised tomorrow. And in relation to eternity, this life is a snap. So what? So what? Who cares that the end is near? Any therefores to it? Any therefore? Because the end is near. Yeah, in the text it says... If you go back to it, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Why? So that you'd pray. Huh. Uh, there there's a, ought to be a relation to the singular reality, the end is near, and our prayers. Correct? Am I making too much there? Or is that in the text? No, it's, it's right there. The end is near ought to have an impact on our praying. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. These are the the therefores, the so what's to the reality that time is near. We're not promised tomorrow. We're closer than we were yesterday. And in relation to eternity, life is a snap. That truth ought to set us on what we've become really jaded about is some resolves. But there's, there's nothing wrong with making resolutions. We become jaded on them because we don't tend to keep them. But there are times, and New Year's is one of those, and the singular reality, the end of all things is near, ought to cause us to, we say, kind of step back, to get back from the clutter of life and go, what really matters? What ought to mark my life in 2017? What, what did kind of fell off the table in 2016. What got lost in the clutter that needs to be reset, recentered back in my life? You, you follow me? This is what this text is doing. It's reminding you that life can become consuming about here and now. And that's, that's a false reality that will lead you to an ungodly lifestyle. There's a singular reality, the end of all things is near, that ought to bring us back to front and center in our thinking and our living. It's really pretty basic. It's nothing new, but most of life is not 
aha moments. It's stirring up by way of reminder moments. What really matters? What ought to mark my life? The text is clear. The purposeful response to the reality. Which reality? The end of all things is near. It's really twofold. First, be prayerful. The end being near ought to impact our prayers. But I very intentionally have not said resolve to pray more. Because I don't think that's going to work for you. Here's what the text says. We run to the end, and the purposeful response is to be prayerful, but that, I don't think, is the resolve. The text says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So the the goal isn't necessarily my resolve, I should say, not the goal. The resolve is not to pray more. What's the resolve? Be of sound judgment and sober in spirit. Isn't that interesting on the wake of New Year's Eve? Sound judgment and sober spirit. A bunch of people made stupid decisions last night. Why? Because they weren't sober. Really. They're going to go, I made a horrible They'll call it mistake. They made a horrible choice because they didn't exercise sound judgment because they weren't sober. Just matter of fact. So where does actually sound judgment and therefore the soberness of spirit, where does that come from? How do you have sound judgment? Now, see, there is, there's a reality here that we jump to, oh, I should pray more in 2017. Uh, that might be a fruit. The resolve would be regarding this. Because the truth and my immersion in the truth will cause me to make good decisions, right decisions. It will cause me to be sober in spirit because it will tell me what is true, what really matters, and therefore, what will I do when I know what's true and what really matters? What will I do then? Then I'll pray (laughs) lots more. So, uh, be prayerful, but yes, Understand that prayerfulness is rooted in a resolve to be immersed in truth. In fact, let me make sure that that we get it clear in this way. If, If you resolve to pray more, you might for a while. But if you'll resolve to immerse yourself in truth, then you'll pray more. All, you might want to write this down, 
all prayerlessness is rooted in a lie, some lie. All prayerlessness is actually rooted in some lie, a lie about God, a lie about me, something that I believe wrongly about myself, about God. Test it. Just think for yourself. Why, why, why didn't I pray as much as I felt like I should in 2016? What, what is the cause of the absence of prayer? In your life? I'm too busy. That's a lie. The truth is what? You're too busy not to pray. I'm not too busy to pray. I'm too busy actually not to pray. Or maybe you think, well, prayer doesn't really make a difference, truth or lie. Or maybe you think, after all I've done, God doesn't want to hear from me, truth or lie, lie. But have, am I the only one this morning who has been reluctant to pray because I didn't feel like God wanted to hear from me right now? It's a lie that all prayerlessness is actually rooted in some lie. So the, the, purposefulness rea- the purpose, purposeful response to the end is near is that I'm going to pray more, but I'm not going to pray more because I resolve to pray more. I'm going to only pray more when I believe truth more. So you might be in a small group, and what can we pray for? And the, the, the invitation will go out. Hey, anybody have a prayer request? What do you immediately think of? What's big in my life? I don't have anything really big. And maybe those words have come out of hey, I don't really need anything. There's nothing really big in my life. That's such a silly thought. As if there are big things and small things to God. I mean, really, what, what is big to God? Nothing. Nothing's big to God. If it's not big, then nothing's small. But Sometimes our prayerlessness is because, why well, don't I have anything big this week? So I don't really need to pray this week. Or, man, hey, y'all, this is a huge week. I need you to pray for me this week. All that stuff's rooted in a, in a lie. Or, now I get along with my family. Oh, I don't get along with my family. Pray for us at Christmas. We don't get along. It's all rooted in that... Well, I need the Lord this time, but I, I don't need the Lord right now. See the lie? I want, you to, I want you to try to do a personal exercise. Think about where prayerlessness shows up in your life. Because for all of it, it's unique. Think about where prayerlessness shows up in your life. And can you identify the lie that lies beneath the prayerlessness? I've tried to talk through with you a few of mine. I'm 100% certain if you'll acknowledge where prayerlessness is, where, where it comes out, that you'll be able to then identify 
the lie that lies beneath the prayerlessness. So, what's the resolve? To immerse myself in truth so that I'll have sound judgment, sober in spirit. That combination will then lead me to prayerfulness. So I'm not asking you to pray more. I am asking you this. In 2017, what will be your truth immersion plan? Like, if that's not clear enough to you, read your Bible plan. And you go, oh, really? January 1, another read your Bible again? Uh Uh-huh. I told you it wasn't going to be new. It's just a stir up by way of reminder. Well, I've tried that read a Bible through a year. I never finish. Well, start again. Because what's the lie beneath that? Well, if I'm not going to finish, there's no reason to start it. I'll take your Bible reading plan if it gets you through August as opposed to not starting in January because you're only going to make it to August. That would work for me. I'll take eight months of sound judgment and sobriety of spirit versus zero. Don't not start because you might quit. But that's just one of the lies that lies beneath our lack of good judgment. So, I know, you're, I know you're afraid to commit to something because you're going to fail. Let's just all agree. We're not going to keep the resolution perfectly. But what's your plan? 60 seconds. Write it down. What's your plan? <sighs> just keep talking. Don't make me decide. Yeah, 60 seconds. Go ahead. When are you going to read? Where? Not where in your Bible. Where in your life? At home? At work? At your desk? If you wrote in bed, scratch it out and try another plan. (laughs) I'm really not... Five more seconds. Okay, not being silly here when I say, hey, I know you won't keep it. I'm not being dismissive. Simply saying, uh, Scripture speaks very clearly to us in moments like this. We have markers in life because we need times where we reorient. And all January 1 is a reorient moment. It's a time to go, all right, let's get things that really matter, matter. And if once we did that one time, we never needed to do it again, we wouldn't need markers. The whole reality that you're going to have to do it again shouldn't keep you from it. It's just part of the process of how we live in this life, in this world. 
So don't let that discourage you or stop you. I've resolved never to make resolve. That's just silly. It's a reality that stuff falls off that's important in our life and we need moments. Sometimes that's a wedding anniversary to go, wow, we made these commitments. We need to reinvest in our relationship. Sometimes that's Christmas. Jesus has kind of gotten cluttered out. We need to bring back Jesus front and center. Sometimes that's a birthday. We need to come back and go, all right, I am getting older. Am I giving myself to what really matters in life? God has built markers into the seasons of our life so that you would do the very thing that you've become reluctant to do. And that is to say, okay, I'm going to get back. Yeah, it's going to get fuzzy, but and I'll come back. So don't resist. Make a good plan, knowing you're going to have to make it again. But make a good plan. By God's grace, seek to follow it. To immerse yourself in truth so that you'll have sound judgment. So that in sound judgment you'll be sober in spirit. So that with sound judgment and sober in spirit you will pray. Because... Jesus didn't tell his disciples, hey, I'm going away, but I expect you to check in once a day. You know, like text me once a day, prayer. You got to talk to me once a day. That's your obligation. No. He said, I'm going away, and their hearts were troubled. And they're like, oh, Lord, you're going away. And he said, hey, here's my promise. If I go, I'm going to pour another like me the Holy Spirit inside you, and whatever you need, ask me. There was no obligation in prayer. It was the incredible privileged opportunity given to those who said, but Jesus, how are we going to engage with you when you're no longer physically present? You're going to ask, and I'm going to dwell within you. Here, here is what is maybe most profound for all of us. The very statement, I should pray more, is rooted in a lie. As if prayer is an obligation versus an incredible privilege that we've been offered to engage with our Savior. Immersed in truth. But the text goes on. Above all... Keep fervent in your love for one another. So the end is near. Therefore, what? Be immersed in truth so that you'll pray. And above all, be loving. Above all, be loving. See, there is in this text not only be loving, but what's it say? In verse 8, what did it say? Uh, keep fervent in your love for one another. So be loving, that is eagerly, actively stretching. It's, it's the athlete striving, straining toward the goal. Eagerly, actively stretching. <laughs> Be loving, not under obligation, but because you're eager to. 
be loving actively, not just when you feel it, but you make a a decision. I'm going to step in. I'm going to act in a loving manner. And love will stretch you, right? Yeah. In other words, we'd like to love when it's convenient, but that's actually what Jesus said. Everybody loves that way. What really marks the Christ follower is the love that stretches, goes beyond what is comfortable. Can you touch your toes? I can't. I mean, there's me. Oh, yeah, then I can. Thank you, Frost. That's why he's an elder. No, see, and if I, you could come up and push me down, but my, my muscles just don't stretch. When I try to do that, what, what do I feel? I feel pain. And nobody likes pain, so what do we do? We don't stretch. And nobody, everybody wants to love when it's in range, when it's easy. But that which marks us as Christ followers is when, when someone comes into our life, including our family and our spouse, because don't think, yeah, my spouse is sometimes hard to love. Think, I'm often hard to love. Jackie has to stretch to love me at times. It's like, Doug, you're making it hard. Uh huh. Well, not intentionally. Well, maybe sometimes. <laughs> but to love is, is a stretching, it's going beyond what is comfortable. What's above all me? <laughs> yeah. If there's, if there's really anything, quite frankly, that you would resolve in 2017 and 2018 and 2019, oh, come on, really? The, the, the top at the list every single year? Uh-huh. It would be that you would be loving. Be loving. Oh, I know that. I, I know, but has, has love for others fallen off the table in your life, been pushed to the side? Oh, it's there, sometimes under obligation, it's there when you feel it, or it's there when it's within range, but has stretching active beyond your feel? has it fallen off the table? Because it can. Every marriage represented this morning can lose its fervency of love. And you can kind of settle into a, we love one another when it's convenient, when we feel it, but we kind of just coexist the rest of the time. We don't, we stop stretching towards one another. And, and you, your marriage needs a marker to come back and say, are we stretching towards one another? Are we extending? Uh, is there any way, in the, really, in the last week, I have served Jackie in a way that cost me something? Or did I go, oh, no, that would cost me. See, if I go a week and I, and I haven't ever stretched to love my wife, my relationship's in trouble. Yours is. If you have said... Now, my love lives right here. Above all, keep fervent 
in your love for one another. Why? Why? <laughs> What's the motive? What's the singular reality? You didn't go to bed early enough. Yeah, the, the, the end is near. Have you never walked away, driven away from a conversation and had this thought, oh, I hope that's not our last? Have you never had that? Have you never climbed in your car and thought, oh, I wouldn't want that to be the final memory? I have. Sometimes that's meant stop, turn around. Sometimes that's meant pull out my phone and go, hey, what I said, I'm sorry. Sometimes that's a, just a text with that little emoji of blowing a kiss because my wife loves those emojis. <laughs> she sends them to me all the time, and I'm like, I thought you had something to tell me. She does. It's just emojis are her language, not mine. So, yeah. I think it's time for some of you to ask, is there any relationship that you would say right now, if the end is not just near, if the end is now, I'm going to regret the way this relationship ended. The mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a child, a neighbor, a co-worker, and you think, I've lived with it, but man, that's going to be a stretch. I don't want it to end that way. So you don't. You don't. You don't want it to end in a way that wasn't loving. So, what's that mean? Well, love in the text is expressed in four specific ways. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, eagerly, actively, stretchingly, because love, and here, I, I love this because of the stretching nature of fervency, stretching to cover. You ever shared covers with someone? <laughs> and the cover's just not quite big enough. And it's like, hey, you're hogging all the covers. I, I need a little bit more. You got enough. No, 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 no. If it, It's over me, but it's not tucked in. I feel the air coming. It's not, it's not like over my, it's over my feet, but it's not around my feet. You've had these conversations. Love covers. It stretches over a multitude of sins. A, a very practical expression of what ought to mark our relationships in 2017 is how we handle the sin of others in our lives. Above all, this is at the top of the list, every year the Lord gives us another year, every year, above all, eagerly, actively stretching in my relationships to love one another, including how I handle their sin. Do any of you know any sinners? <laughs> any of you relate to them? Yeah. How are you handling their sin? Making them pay? 
highlighting it, spotlighting it, leveraging it, or covering, covering it. First Corinthians 13 says, love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. And yet sometimes we rejoice in unrighteousness of others. Or we take advantage of it. Think about, I could say it this way because it'd be short. Think about all the sinners in your life. It's not going to be a matter of whether they sin against you in 2017 or not. It's, it's how are you going to handle the sinners in your life? Those who around you, brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just, I'm not talking pagans here. I'm talking about even your brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you going to handle their sin. Highlight it, leverage it, rejoice in it. Love, cover. Think of, think of just share. Love spreads it, covers it, doesn't broadcast it, doesn't spotlight it. Now, I specifically expressed, said, expressed in the handling of sin of others because as we look at 1 Peter 4 and this verse. Eight about love covers a multitude of sins. We also understand that Matthew 18 that says lovingly handling sin and others sometimes doesn't cover. Sometimes it does expose. So the bigger biblical principle is how are you handling the sin of those around you? Is it in a loving manner? And the scripture speaks in this passage, that the consistent pattern is that we cover. We don't hold it against. Matthew 18 says there's a time to expose. Lovingly, with gentleness, with humility. So, I want you to just, just pause again and think. Is there anybody in my life right now who I can't with a clear conscience before the Lord say, I'm handling their sin in a loving manner? Just, it's something that the text ought to force you to ask yourself. Is there anything, Doug, that... that Anyone where their sin, you're not handling in a loving manner. You're either exposing it when you shouldn't be, or you are covering it up when you should no longer cover it up. If the Spirit of God brings somebody to mind, the end is near. You see the connection? Don't let it end that way. Be hospitable, next verse says, to one another without complaint. I don't take this as separate then, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. I see this as an expression of keeping fervent in your love for one another, in being hospitable to one another. The How you engage those who, in this room, you don't, 
necessarily know or in your community that you don't necessarily know. How you engage with hospitality, how you love strangers. There's two facets, I think, to loving hospitality. First, there's the facet of a lifestyle of gracious invitation. Because that's what we do when we love strangers. We invite them. When we moved into our neighborhood, they expressed, honestly, loving hospitality to us and that they invited us to a reception at somebody. Somebody said, hey, our next door neighbor said, we're going to host a reception for you for the other homes in the neighborhood. Four o'clock on a, two o'clock on a, four o'clock, on a Sunday afternoon. They invited us. Who will you invite into your life in the coming year? Will you invite anybody? Are you going, no, I have my friends. I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody else in my life. They'll just mess it up. Anybody anybody in your neighborhood that you'll actually invite into your home? Just a gracious invitation. Anybody at your work that you would say, hey, I hear what's happening. I'd like to invite you to my church. Anybody? Any family on a, on a, uh, that you would invite in? Anybody that you'd meet on a Sunday morning when we do that greeting time that lots of you don't like? Darn and greet one another. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Maybe I'll sit in the same place so I don't have to talk to new people. Anybody that you'd say, oh, nice to meet you. Let me invite you to this fellowship I attend. Let me invite you to my, our, our family group. Hospitality is love expressed. Yes? Mm. Yes, it is. Hospitality is an expression of love. And two facets of it. Gracious invitation and then the other side of it, warm Welcome. Don't, don't miss the reality that warm welcome is an expression of love. That is actually why we do a greeting time, to give you opportunity for warm welcome and gracious invitation. Really nice of our next-door neighbors and our new community to invite us into their home. Really horrible if we show up and nobody talks to us because they already know everybody else. They've all lived there for a long time. They invited us, but then nobody actually spoke to us or welcomed us. I, I wish they wouldn't invite us if they're actually not going to talk to us. Right? Yeah, if you don't understand that that's an, effect, an expression of love, go be a stranger somewhere where no one talks to you. And you go, oh, they're not very friendly, loving, kind. Sometimes... Sometimes, Christian Family Chapel, we stand guilty of people came, whether that we invited them or not. They just showed up. How dare they? And then we didn't talk to them. Why not? Because I got everybody else I got to talk to. I don't have more space for people in my life. I'm not saying you have to be their best friend. 
but a warm welcome? If we don't have time for a warm welcome, we need more immersion in truth. We sometimes still stand guilty. And it's, it's not because we're bad. It's because we so enjoy the people we've already surrounded ourselves with. We don't want to stretch beyond. See, this is the text. Keep fervent, stretch beyond what's comfortable, what's easy, and be hospitable. Invite. Oh, but if I invite them over. This is what I hear all the time. If I invite them over, then I'll have to like entertain, I'll have to like talk to them. Uh, yeah? That would be hard. I'd just like to hang with the people that are easy to be with already. I know that, hey, I'm not picking on you. I have all these same thoughts. And so I need to be reminded the end is what? Near. Be hospitable. Well, invite folks and welcome them. And fourth expression of love. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You love how? How do you love here? Specifically. What's the specific expression of love here? And you know what service flows from? A stewardship. Usually we think of stewardship according to what? Our our money. So what's the stewardship here? The stewardship is this. I don't belong to me. I don't belong to me. And the gifts that God, the, the special gifts that God has given me I don't deserve, they were an act of his grace to me. And as a person who does not belong to me and gifts that I don't deserve, a steward accomplishes the desires of the owner, right? That's what a steward does. Doesn't belong. A steward fulfills the desires of the owner. So what has God made you good at? Are you organizational? Are you great with helps? Do you have discernment? Are you good at communicating truth? What has God made you good at? And this is very simple. We usually think, how can I get rich on that? And all he's simply saying is, hey, you don't belong to you. Those gifts you have, you don't deserve. God made you that way. Not how are you getting rich on them. How are you blessing the local body, the body of Christ with the gifts that God has given? It's a matter of what? Stewardship. We we love one another by stewarding our God-given gifts, by using them not for our purposes, but for the purpose of the owner. Lots of people here Christmas Eve. 
But Christmas doesn't happen unless some people who God made really good at music say, I won't hang with my family Christmas Eve until way late. I'll actually serve, serve, bless the body with what God made me good at. And I'll get up on Christmas morning and do it again. Were you blessed if you came? I was. So grateful for the gifts that God has given. You, you, you have been made good at something by God. He's gifted you. No doubt about it. He has gifted you. Are you stewarding that? In other words, using it for the purpose of the owner, why he gave it to you? Listen, this is why we're doing this New Year's Day. For some of you, that's kind of slid off the table. Maybe that's something you used to do a long time ago. You're past that. Or you got busy with other stuff in life. And it wasn't that bad stuff necessarily. It was other good stuff. But what has slipped off the table is your stewardship of what God has made you good at in serving others in the body of Christ. It's easy for that kind of to shrink back or to disappear. And if CFC, Christian Family Chapel, is going to be the church that God intends it to be in this community, if the work of God, if, if we really believe what we sang, that Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, we want to experience the glory of your presence, then that is every single one of us saying, I'm going to steward the gifts that God has given me. That needs to come back front and center. It's part of my loving fervently. Father, I pray that, that we would be really brought back to the core this morning, immersed in truth, being gracious to others who are struggling as you've been gracious to us, profoundly, intentionally, invitational, and welcoming, and stewarding these gifts to the praise of your glory and to the fullness of our joy. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. Happy New Year.